extended study this week, kind of looking beyond uh, the, the, just the text for uh, illustrations and such, I ran across a, a young boy with whom I somewhat identify. This young boy was born in the late 1600s in England in 1674, and uh, he displayed a propensity for logic, which I identify with, but he also, uh, unlike me, he, he, he kind of had a smart mouth, okay? Now, my dad may disagree with that. Uh, today is one of my, my brother's birthday, Rodney's birthday. He would probably disagree with that. I, mean, I was told a lot as a kid that, that my mouth was going to get me in trouble. Uh, but this young man, at one particular time, he had developed a, a, a propensity for rhyme. And so uh, his dad, who was a uh, kind of a nonconformist as well, in fact, he didn't fit in well with the Anglican Church, it was the, the Church of England at the time, and the, the accepted beliefs, and so he belonged to a nonconformist Christian movement. And uh, he, in church one particular day, his dad asked him uh, why he had his eyes open during prayers. This young man said, a little mouse for want of stairs ran up a rope to say its prayers. Well, he got whipped for it. He got spanked, all right. A little bit of corporal punishment for having a smart mouse smarting off to his dad. And so when he was receiving his corporate punishment, he cried out, Oh, Father, Father, pity take, and I will no more verses make. Probably did not help his cause at that point. Uh, I say I, I identified with that young man. He was much more uh, intelligent than I, certainly. This young man ended up becoming the uh, uh, kind of the godfather, is what he was called, of English hymnody. He wrote over 750 hymns, many of which we still use today. One of my favorites is, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. But one of my other favorites that he wrote is the one that we launched the service with today, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. Isaac Watts was this young man's name, and he went on to, uh, to pastor uh, uh, churches. He, he, as I said, wrote 750 hymns. He was known he, as a teacher of logic. He wrote a textbook in logic. And so, uh, and yet, probably the greatest contribution that the majority of the world would ever know or receive from him is that great Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come. And that's what we're here today to celebrate and, and to talk about the joy that was introduced into the world, an unending, undying joy that can only be found in Christ. Last week, we spoke of the Advent theme of peace, and, and we looked at a passage in Ephesians that said that Jesus is our peace. We talked about how peace is, is not just something that comes because of circumstances, but peace is something that it can grow in us, it can, it can, it can come from the innermost part of our being through the the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we're connected with God, regardless of what's going on outside and around us, we can still be at peace. Joy is the same thing. Joy is listed among those fruits of the Spirit. In fact, peace is third on the list. Joy is second. The fruit of the Spirit are these. Love, 
joy, peace. True joy is something that doesn't come just because of circumstances. It's different than happiness in that. Joy can come from the innermost part of who we are when we're connected in a relationship with the living Lord. And so today, as we celebrate this privilege and opportunity that we have to walk a joy-filled life in Christ, I want to look at another one of Paul's letters, uh, the letter to the Philippian church. This is, this is going to contain two of the most famous verses, one of the most misused verses, I believe, in all of the New Testament. But Ephesians, I mean, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 down through verse 13. If you would, you can just simply read with me, beginning in verse 4. Paul gives this command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you do well by partnering with me in my hardship. This command of the Apostle Paul is one that is, is intriguing to some extent because he, he commands us to rejoice, and yet we tend to... As, as human beings be more connected with our emotions to the extent that whatever is going on in our, in our minds or whatever, whether we're depressed or whether we're dealing with struggles in our lives, our level of joy and our ability to rejoice tends to be more connected to that, what's going on outside of us, than what's going on inside of us. And so I've often struggled with this idea of how can Paul command us to rejoice? Because last week, just like last week when we talked about peace can be a choice, so also can joy be a choice. We choose how we're going to approach our circumstances. We choose how we're going to confront each and every day and in each and everything that comes into our lives. And we'll, we'll deal with that. And that's one of the reasons that I extended the text today all the way down through verse 13. As I said, one of the most abused. the meaning of today's message more than anything else. But let's just walk through the text together as I, as I like to do and, and kind of expound on what Scripture itself says. First and foremost, the context of the first few verses give us 
direction and, and, and at least instruction on how we can find this incomprehensible peace. This peace that surpasses all understanding. Every one of us would love to have that kind of peace in our life. Can't understand. A peace that we even ourselves can't fully understand. How can we come to a place where we're at peace in our lives even when everything else around is just falling apart? Now this certainly is connected to last week's message. But as we walk through this text, one of the first commands I think that we must follow is we must choose to rejoice. We've got to make this decision that I choose today to rejoice in the life that God has given me. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to express my appreciation and my love as I rejoice in him. Every day, let me, let me challenge you in this, because this is true for all of us. Every day when we get up, we can find things to gripe about. We can find stuff that our neighbors may have going better for them than what we have in our life. We can find the aches and pains, and you know, the older I get, the more I find those. We can find something to focus on. We can always find negative things that we can focus on if we choose to. But we also can choose to focus on the blessings that God has given us. And Paul demands that we choose to rejoice. When? Always. Wait a minute, Paul. There's some times in your life that I don't imagine you wanted to rejoice. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about the times, the, the many times he was beaten with a cat of nine tails, the many times that he received a beating with rods, the shipwrecks that he'd been through. He'd been through all of that, and still, writing from prison, as he writes to the Philippian church, he, he commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, that does not mean to celebrate your negative circumstances, I don't think. I don't think he's, he's rejoicing that, that uh, he went through a beating. He's rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of the beating. You see the difference? I don't, when I stood next to the grave of my daughter, I didn't have to find joy in the grave, but in the moment I could find joy in the Lord for obvious reasons, Right? We can choose to rejoice in the Lord always, even when we're in the midst of difficult circumstances. And he gives us a reason there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Why ought we be able to rejoice in every circumstance, in every difficulty, in every uh, mountaintop? Why ought we be able to rejoice always? Because the Lord is near. We worship and serve a God who died on a cross so that he could be with us and in us. That in and of itself is worthy of rejoicing. And so we can rejoice in the comfort and the care and the presence of the Lord every day single moment of every day. It's simply when we come into those difficulties and those even tragedies, are we going to look for and seek out the reason to rejoice in the Lord, or are we going to look for reasons to be upset and gripe and complain? Second, 
he says, don't worry. How are we going to find this incomprehensible peace? First, we're going to choose to rejoice. Second, we're going to choose not to worry. Worry in, in relationship to, to, uh, to the Lord as we walk in a, in a relationship with him is the opposite of faith. Worry is, is us fretting over what might, could possibly happen in the future instead of looking toward how God is in control and can be trusted. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, give thanks. Here in chapter 4, he says, uh, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Matthew 6, says, seek the Lord, seek his kingdom with all your heart, and these things will be added unto you. It's, a, it's an issue of who we trust or whether or not we truly trust in him. If we're worried about every little thing that's going on, then our eyes are on the things that are not on him. If we're trusting him, he will take away that worry. And he tells us, gives us some instruction here. Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Through prayer, as you communicate in a relationship with him, and petition, bringing your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your, your brokenness, bringing it all before God, but doing it with a heart of thanksgiving. With a heart of recognition that, that he is our provider. He is our father. Not with a heart of greed or ingratitude, but with a heart of gratitude. And, it, and when we come and bring our request and bring our petitions before the Lord with thanksgiving, it lifts our eyes and reminds us of all that he has already done and all that he is doing in our lives. And it helps lift our eyes up off of our worries. And so here Paul commands us, first, choose to rejoice. Second, don't worry and then he gives us this promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't forget that phrase. Because all of our, our peace, all of our joy, all of our hope comes in Christ, in that relationship that we have with the Son of God. Second, how are we going to find joy and be able to walk with joy in all circumstances? First was rest in this incomprehensible peace. Second, discipline your thoughts. Discipline your thought. The battle for your mind, the battle for your life in reality is taking place in your mind. The enemy will attack you at the level of your mind. And scripture says that you've got to submit your mind, your thoughts before the Lord. That he can mold your mind, that he can shape your mind so that you can bring honor and glory to him. Discipline your mind. Choose your thoughts, scripture says. He says here in verse 8, brothers and sisters, these are the things that I want you to focus your mind on. Dwell on these things. What is it that we're to dwell on? What is it that we're to focus our attention on? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Now, I want to challenge you with something that I've been challenged with in my own heart is that every time I read this verse, when I turn on a television set in my home, am I, what's coming into my mind, whether it's through a movie or whether it's through a TV program, does it line up with those six characteristics? You could even ask this about the news. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? If we spend more of our time focused on things that are not true, are not honorable, are not just, are not pure, are not lovely, and are not commendable, our minds will be twisted and tainted and led away from the Lord. Paul challenges us, in fact, commands us to dwell on these things. If there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy in it, let those be the things that you focus on. And so you can, you can take that script, you can take those characteristics and flip them the opposite way. And if what you're allowing into your mind, if you're, what you're thinking on does not line up with those six characteristics, you need to step away from it. Certainly, we live in a world where if we're going to find out what's going on yesterday, we're going to find out what's going on in Kentucky and we turn on the news, we're going to see some things that are disturbing. So your mind will get enough of what's not honorable, what's not pure, what's not just, just from this world. So when you have opportunity to focus on what's true and what's honorable, that's where you need to focus your attention. That's where you need to focus your mind. One of the best places to go is to God's word. Because his word is always true. It's always right. It will always lead you back to him. Choose your thoughts. Choose to think on those things, not on what the world's going to throw at you. And let me give you the second command from this paragraph. As Paul writes to the Philippian church, he says, do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. What's he telling them to do? Do what you already know is right. Uh, see, uh, there, there's a truism about life that I have seen in my own heart, my own life. We oftentimes study and dig and we look and, and we, we, we try to find uh, more truth and more knowledge and we, we, we try to go so deep that we oftentimes don't spend energy obeying the commands that we know the Lord's already given us to obey. If we would simply focus our attention on doing what we know God has called us to do, we'd have a whole lot less time to get ourselves in trouble. We know that God has called us to make disciples. That's the primary command that Christ gave his disciples right before he ascended to heaven, to share the gospel, to tell others the story of Jesus, to teach them God's word, and to help them grow up in him. If you and I focused our time and attention on doing that, that, that thing that we know we ought to be doing, 
It would limit our time in a whole lot of other areas where we get ourselves in trouble. We wouldn't have time to think on a whole lot of stuff that's not true, that's not honorable, that's, that's, that's filled with impurities. And so Paul focuses, he tells the Philippian church, you know what I've taught you, what you've received from me, what you've heard from me? Do it. Just do it. Just obey the word that you receive from the Lord through me. If you'll obey me and do what you already know you're supposed to be doing, that'll move you a long way down the road to finding true joy in life. You know, one of the things that disrupts joy in my life probably more than anything else is when I know that I failed the Lord. If I know that I've been disobedient in some way, I failed to share with someone who I had opportunity to share with, that will disrupt joy in my life. If I have sinned against him knowingly, that will disrupt the joy that he desires for me to have. The joy that comes through a connection with the Holy Spirit. So rest in his peace by choosing joy and choosing not to worry. Choose your thoughts and do what you already know is right. And then finally, Paul gives us his teaching on contentment. Centered around, or at least I'm going to focus it around Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oftentimes that verse is used to to be a foundational teaching in, in all different kinds of doctrinal teaching. All different kinds of health and wealth gospel. The, the truth is... The context of that verse is saying something completely different. What Paul is teaching us in this context is that he has come to a place in life where he's learned to be content. That word contentment may be one of the most important words that you'll ever learn when it comes to finding joy in your life. Because to be content, Paul says... Verse 11, uh, he, he first kind of, he's communicating with the Philippian church. The Philippian church was one church that he allowed to support his ministry financially. And so he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. They were, they were able to, to begin to financially support him again. He said, in fact, you wanted to all along, but you lacked, lacked opportunity. So where, whatever his situation was in prison, the, the Philippian church was not able to support Paul in his ministry to financially support him. But there came a time again where they were able to send financial or physical support to the, to the apostle Paul. And so he's rejoicing in the fact that they've supported him. But he says, I don't say this out of need. Because I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little. And I know how to make do with a lot. In, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So I think that nothing will rob you of your joy in, in any given moment more than your unwillingness to be content where the Lord has put you and with what the Lord has given you. If you're always looking to uh, you're looking at what everybody else has and you wish I was here or I wish I was there or I wish I was at this place in life or I wish I was at that place in life. If you're always looking for something else, you're never going to be happy where you are. You're never going to be content and you're never going to be able to find 
joy in the place that you find yourself in life. When I was a, a kid, when I was a young teenager, this resonated with me because I realized that when it got cold in the wintertime, I would always start looking forward to spring. I could not wait for spring to get there because I was in Little League Baseball and I loved playing baseball. So I couldn't wait for baseball season and I just, I was not happy because it wasn't baseball season yet. And then baseball season would come around and I could not wait until summer because when summer got here, we would get our boat out, we get out on Lake Travis and we start fishing and we start water skiing. I couldn't wait for the water to warm up so it got good and hot outside so that we could go skiing. And then after a few weeks of summer, I'd be sick and tired of how hot it was and I couldn't wait for winter to get here hoping that snow would come soon. And I found myself always looking for that next season, finding a reason to complain about the season that I was in. And I realized that's a never-ending cycle of despair. If I'm always waiting for the next thing to be happy, and then you'll recognize this as well if you weren't, if you didn't struggle with that. Now, honestly, I still hear adults talk about that. You just wait till August. People won't, they'll say, I can't wait till it cools off. And then the first cold front comes through and they're sitting there freezing. I can't wait for summer. We, we, we do the same thing as adults. But even growing up, I remember I, I could not wait until I got to go to school when I was a kid. My brothers and sisters were going to school. I'd see that school bus come by. I couldn't wait to go to school. It didn't take long before I was tired of school. But I couldn't wait until I got to junior high. It was going to be better in junior high. And then, of course, I couldn't wait until I got that car. And once I got the car, everything was going to be better. And then I couldn't wait till I graduated. I was going to be happier once I graduated. Once I graduated high school, I couldn't wait till I got married. Life was certainly going to get better when I got married. And it did. Once I got married, everything was fine. But if we're always looking for that next thing, we'll never be able to find joy and peace and contentment where we are. Can you find contentment in what the Lord has given you? Can you find contentment where the Lord has placed you? Some people, it's about location. I see pe some people that are, they just cannot be happy anywhere until they move to the next place. They're always looking for the next house, the next place, the next state, the next, the next position, whatever it happens to be. They're not happy, so they got to go somewhere else. But what they find out when they get there, they've carried the same problems with them, and they're not happy when they get there. And then they move to the next place, and they've carried the same problems with them, and they're not happy when they get there. Ultimately, Paul said, wherever I am and whatever I have, in, all, in, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. And here's where he found that contentment, in Christ. In Christ. I found that I'm able to face anything. I found that I'm able to be at peace and, and content in any and all circumstances with the strength that I received in Christ, in him. Paul's not saying that if I have enough faith, I could jump off a roof and fly. 
As a, as a kid, I, I, I saw that verse, and I, I just thought, man, if I just have enough faith, I, you know, I can fly. I'm glad I never attempted it, but I, I tried to figure it out several times. Why is it that this life is possible in Christ? First and foremost, it's because he is God. We can find joy in every and any circumstance of life. We can find contentment and peace in all circumstances in life in Christ, first and foremost, because he is God. He is who he says he is. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. We can not worry if we're walking in a relationship with Christ because he's got it under control. We can choose joy in each and every circumstance in life. Even when we stand next to the grave of a loved one, we can choose joy because if that person is in Christ, they're alive. So in every circumstance in life, we can rejoice. We can walk in joy in Christ. But only in Christ, outside of Christ, so much of what we're talking about breaks down. The future is not certain when you don't have Christ. Your hope is not secure when you don't have Christ. You don't have that, that future to look forward to when you're not in Christ. And so this life is possible in Christ because he is God. Paul says because he is near in the first part of this text. He's not only God, but he's drawn close to us. The, the last hymn that we sang, sang spoke of, of how Christ came near to us and, and gave his life for us. Because he is near, we can walk in joy in every circumstance of life. Because he is trustworthy. In every circumstance, every moment, every challenge of life, you will find that Christ is trustworthy. Man may fail you. Family may fail you. Government may fail you. Christ won't. He'll always be with you. He'll always carry you through. We live in a, in a, in a culture and, and in a world where we are blessed. We really are blessed. We don't face third world problems. We're not worried about where we're going to find clean water this afternoon to get a drink like a third of the world's population is. We are blessed, folks. And we need to re remember that he is the one who's blessed us. And then finally, we can find joy in every circumstance because he strengthens us for every task. And that's really the true meaning of Philippians 4.13. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I can live with much or I can live in great need. I can make do with a lot or I can make do with little. In any and all circumstances, whether Fed or hungry, in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, Paul commands the church from prison. Paul commands the church to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And it's not just a hollow command. It's not just some type of, of positive speaking that is supposed to lift them up. It's rooted in the truth of who Christ is 
and what God offers us in a relationship with him, that we can walk through this life and face every challenge and every circumstance with hope and peace and yes, even joy because of Christ and what he's done for us. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.